Hello, friends, and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the fences and the walls of institutional religion. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. This is episode number 14, and today we're talking about privilege in pandemic and how our places of privilege or our lack of privilege can shape the ways that we are experiencing and processing the time of social isolation during the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. And so as we begin this episode, I'd first like to thank um, my friend Emily Oakes, who is a teacher in Jackson County, West Virginia, and my daughter Amanda Webb, whose senior year of college was cut short by the pandemic. Uh, And I want to thank both of them for their contributions to this episode. And you're going to hear from from both of them a little bit later on in the podcast. So I was in this conversation with a group of people the other day on a Zoom call, and Zoom, as most of you probably know, has kind of become our default communications platform for various types of meetings and even some social gatherings and things like that. But we were talking on this call about how we are all dealing with our experience of social isolation and how nearly all of us were exhibiting some kinds of signs of of grief or or trauma responses. And one of the folks who was on the call. And and this person is an an awesome person and and very loving and very caring. But they mentioned that, that they didn't really think that we had hit the stage of trauma and how all of us in, in that particular group were relatively well off by comparison, how we were able to pay our bills and, you know, keep our refrigerators and our pantries and, you know, toilet paper supplies pretty well stocked. And and while that statement certainly applied, you know, at some level to most of us, and while I knew that that person, you know, because I knew him really well, I knew they didn't mean any kind of, of harm or insult. But I also knew for a fact that at least three of the 20 some people on that particular call were really not in the position that that person described. I knew that I knew that one of them worked in a fairly low paying job in a quote, essential retail environment that was, you know, uh, a pretty high stress um, environment with a fairly high risk of exposure. I knew another one of the people there had been out of work for over a year and will run out of unemployment benefits once the extended government assistance expires. Um, I knew another person in the group that had, had been laid off and was drawing on an early pension just, you know, to make ends meet. Now, the person who made the comment, again, didn't mean any harm, and they had no way of knowing what I knew about some of those people's situations. But but that's kind of the point, Right. Privilege shapes the way that we view the world. Privilege shapes our assumptions and our presumptions. And too often, I think, privilege clouds our ability to see through someone else's eyes, to appreciate their struggles, to hear how our own words and to perceive how our own actions, however unintentionally, can cause harm to someone else. 
And all of that got me thinking about how we're all experiencing this time of pandemic through various levels of privilege and how our privilege or our lack of privilege maybe shapes how we respond, how we behave, um, and how we think about the future. And just to be honest, I've been thinking a lot about my own privilege during this situation. I've worked at home alone for really the better part of the last, you know, like 16 years or so. I was self-employed as a freelance graphic designer and copywriter for a little over a decade. Um, And then I spent a couple of years as a youth pastor where I mostly worked at home to do that. Um, And then I served as the pastor of a small church that had an office um, that I used, but I really didn't use it all that often because I already had a home office set up. Um, After that, I worked remotely as part of a denominational administrative team, and and I currently work from home as a developer and coordinator of new non-traditional faith communities in my area. Now, on top of all of that, my wife has pretty stable and steady employment. And although she still has to go to work every day because her job is essential, her workplace has done a really good job of creating and maintaining good social distancing practices. So all that is to say that for me personally, my day-to-day life has not really been affected all that much. Now, sure, there are some mild inconveniences, but really that's all they are, mild inconveniences. And most of those are are really social in nature, you know, not being able to go out to dinner or to a coffee shop or to visit friends' homes, you know, it, it kind of puts a cramp in my style, but it doesn't put me into a place of suffering by any means. And even as an extrovert who needs social interaction for my own mental health, I am, at least I hope I am, well differentiated enough to know that I can still manage pretty comfortably, even if not optimally, for, you know, a good while longer. But at the same time, I would be really blind if I couldn't see that a lot of people really are suffering during this time. I have a lot of friends who work in service businesses who are right now either out of work altogether or on pretty severely reduced hours. And the nature of their work generally means that they're in, you know, the lower strata of of earnings in our society. And, And in a lot of ways, that can make it even harder for them to have the resources they need to navigate some of the government systems that are supposed to help. And on top of having, you know, their earnings pretty sharply reduced and and facing that almost daily challenge of dealing with government agencies, many of those folks are also trying to help their kids with schoolwork or or just keep their kids occupied. Um, Several of them are caring for elderly parents or relatives, and they have to take some pretty extreme precautions not to risk exposing those people to potential sickness. Um, A couple of my friends own restaurants, and I watch them struggling every day just to keep their businesses open, not just for their own income, but to try to help at least a skeleton staff of employees who are working to support their families. 
And those situations don't even begin to measure up to the very obvious and and sadly seemingly often overlooked fact that people are dying from this disease, that thousands have been hospitalized and that all of those people have families who are living with the worst kind of grief and uncertainty and trauma. So yeah, even though I might not be so much directly affected beyond some mild inconveniences, there is no question that we are collectively experiencing a massive social trauma right now. And the fact that some people are experiencing it more acutely than others should make those of us who are on the more privileged side of things take notice. We had an episode uh, a while back in the podcast about white privilege and how privilege shapes things in our society from economics to public policy. Those who tend to hold the most power are the ones who create the systems and structures that benefit them. And very often that happens at the expense of people who do not enjoy the same level or kind of privilege. And so I worry that a lot of the voices that I hear calling for, you know, a quick return to, quote, normal when all of this is over are going to win, that we're going to return to the same kinds of political and economic and social paradigms that exclude so many people from the benefits of a supposedly free and equal society because they're not the ones who get to shape the rules. I worry that the people who are protesting to reopen everything immediately will get their way and that countless thousands more will suffer and die because some people felt like their personal individual desires were more important than the health of their neighbors. And I worry that some of those people might contract the disease themselves, and then they might become targets of other people's anger. And I worry that we won't learn any lessons from any of this because so many people are so wrapped up in their own privilege and so ignorant of how it affects others that it won't even occur to them that we need to make some deep, meaningful, systemic changes in the way our society works so that we can all enjoy our society's benefits more equitably. So, so here's a case in point. This friend of mine who works for a retail chain texted me the other night in frustration because he was really conflicted between trying to hold his Christian belief to love other people against this growing sense of anger that he had about the verbal abuse that he and some of his co-workers were receiving from some of their customers. It seems that there were some folks who were really upset that his store had run out of some of the items that were in their, their chain's published advertising flyer. And so these customers started accusing my friend and, and his, his co-workers on staff of, of buying up this stuff and hoarding those items before the public had a chance to purchase them. 
Now, I'm not saying that, that that hasn't happened somewhere and that might not be happening in some places, but that would be the very last thing in the world that this particular friend of mine would ever dream about doing. But rather than simply understanding that, you know, these items are in high demand and that any particular store in this chain was only going to have a limited supply available, these these folks, these customers just decided to, to verbally attack people who were just working as hard as they can and trying their best, you know, in, in a really bad situation. These people's sense of privilege the sense that they basically had a right to purchase those items somehow seemed to give them this idea in their minds that they had permission to inflict hurt and harm on people whose jobs were just to stock the shelves with whatever the company sent them. They were so desperate to blame someone else for their inconvenience that they thought it was okay to just you know, scream at these employees and chew them out. And I just can't quit thinking about how bonkers that is, how absolutely unhinged you would have to be to like invent some kind of goofy conspiracy theory about people, you know, hoarding inventory, and then to feel like you had the right to tell someone off who had absolutely zero control over what had been stocked or what had been sold already. That's like, that's just a normal that I don't want us to go back to. But until people will confront their privilege and begin to understand the ways that their actions not only affect other people, but also the damage that it does to our societal fabric in ways that impact all of us, that even impact them. We'll never be able to live into the kind of really full, abundant life that was supposed to be the promise of the so-called American dream. What it requires from us is a sense of perspective, the ability to see beyond your own circumstances to appreciate the difficulty that other people might be experiencing. So my friend Emily Oaks, who I mentioned at the um, at the beginning of the podcast, is a school teacher in Jackson County, West Virginia, which has been one of the the kind of the hot spots for COVID nineteen in our state. And Emily is among the millions of teachers, not just in America but worldwide, who's had to adjust to school closures and to moving content and instruction online. And Emily has some really interesting thoughts about the expectations that have been placed both on teachers and students in areas like rural West Virginia, where there is limited internet access, where sometimes there's no internet access at all, and, and the part that privilege plays in how all of that works out. So listen, if you would, to, to Emily's comments. I've been fortunate as a teacher to continue being able to work from home. On top of that, my school and my district have been moving one-to-one -one for several years, so my students all have access to computers and are familiar with completing assignments online. That does not mean they all have internet at home, though. Occasionally, I have students trying to submit and type work from mobile hotspots even during the regular school year. 
Right now, one family has five school-aged children who are all trying to do lessons at home at the same time. When they were at school most of the day, it wasn't an issue, but now their internet speed is struggling to keep up. A three-day internet outage at my house reminded me of these challenges. When you don't have a reliable way to access resources or remain in contact with others, I was temporarily paralyzed, unable to do anything without physically going to my school. Most people can't work from home without internet. Students struggle to get assignments and help from their teachers without internet. You cannot apply for a job right now without internet. It is a privilege that is increasingly a necessity in our world. I think a lot of folks who live in areas like rural West Virginia will identify with the difficulty of adjusting to a world that's moving more and more and more online while they still have little to no ability to access that world. And while that movement to heavier reliance on online services is certainly inevitable, I think we have to admit that it privileges some folks over others. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop doing it, but it does mean that we have to be more intentional about understanding where where those resources are lacking and advocating for better connectivity for those people who can't currently receive it. So recognizing our privilege maybe can be a catalyst for positive change. Listen to what what else Emily has to say about how she's trying to support other people in her community. As a teacher who is still working, I continue to receive a steady paycheck. While I don't feel guilty over this, I do feel an added sense of responsibility to support my community by visiting locally owned restaurants, even if I just stocked up on groceries to avoid trips out of the house, or making donations to local food pantries and volunteer emergency services. Usually I would spread these donations out throughout the year more, but the sense of crisis leaves an urgency to do it now. Now, of course, privilege in one area doesn't necessarily mean privilege in all areas. You can have privilege in in certain aspects of your life, but still also be experiencing, you know, some some kind of, of grief or trauma. We've all probably seen or heard stories about how a lot of major life events like like weddings and graduations and even things like funerals have had to be changed or canceled or postponed due to our social distancing restrictions. And and while to some people who aren't directly affected by those kinds of cancellations, it may seem to them like more or less minor inconveniences, those things do cause real emotional pain for the people who are affected by them. My daughter, Amanda, who has appeared here on the podcast before in the episode we did about story and embodiment, as I said at the beginning of of the podcast, was halfway through her last semester of college when the pandemic forced schools to shut down. And Amanda has offered what I think are some really relevant and, um, and interesting thoughts about both recognizing the ways that she is privileged, but also mourning the loss of those milestone moments. So I've been very lucky. I feel very pro- 
privileged to be able to, for the most part, stay at home. Um, I don't really need to go out and go shopping. I don't have to worry about income. I've in fact been lucky enough to be able to be healthy enough to go out and help, you know, my grandparents, older people who need assistance during this time. Uh, so my experience during the pandemic hasn't been, I haven't had a financial struggle. My, the thing that I am mourning are experiences. So I had to leave my college, my senior year, two months early, and I didn't get to finish my senior year at my school, and I didn't get to finish student teaching. And those are monumental moments in my life that I just don't get to have now. And I know that I'm very lucky, but I think that the the loss of experience is as much of a trauma as many other things that are happening to people. I, I really appreciate what both Emily and Amanda have added to this conversation, because I think that both of their statements point out how complicated, complex and nuanced this whole issue of privilege in pandemic can be. And I think that when we can begin to recognize that and when we can have both sympathy and empathy for people who are in different situations than we are, we might begin to be able to do the really hard but really necessary work that it's going to take to come out of this as a better, a healthier, a more compassionate and a more just sort of society. So I really do hope that we don't go back to normal, whatever that was, when this pandemic is over. I really hope that we can take this time to become more self-aware instead of more self-indulgent. I hope that we can realize that that sacrifice for the common good is good for all of us. I hope that we can come out of this with a resolve to demand and to implement changes in public policy that make things like healthcare, like employment security, like housing, like internet access, like education, and countless other essential services available to everyone, not just to those whose privilege enables them. I hope that we can see that making our neighbor's life better doesn't mean making our life harder. And I hope that we can trade our sense of privilege for a sense of purpose to build a better world. So that's it for episode number 14 of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I, I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation about privilege in pandemic. I hope it's made you think about some things, maybe. I hope maybe it will spark some conversations in, in your networks and in your communities. Um, and so thanks again for listening. And, and thanks again, especially to Emily Oakes and Amanda Webb for their insightful contributions to this discussion.
As always, you can find Accidental Tomatoes online at accidentaltomatoes.com and across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. So please, you know, look us up and, and find us and, and give us a like and a follow on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages. That's where you will find any announcements or up to the minute updates of all of the things that are going on in our community. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, joewebrights.com. And on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Joe Webb Writes. If you have any ideas or any suggestions for topics for a future podcast episode, I would love to hear from you. And, um, and you can make those suggestions again, through our Facebook or Twitter pages, or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and if you would like to uh, support the work we're doing here, there's a couple things you can do. The, the first and the easiest thing you can do is to give us a rating and a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That ratings and reviews help other people find us and connect with our community and uh, participate in the conversations that we're having here. Another thing you can do if you'd like to support us um, in, in a financial way is you can go to our Patreon page at um, patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes. And there you can find various uh, levels of support, various tiers where you can support the work we're doing uh, and some of the cool perks that you can get um, for, for joining um, our Patreon community. So thanks again for listening and keep on growing outside the fences and be sure to join us next time for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. Tomatoes.